am so excited to have JJ Alderman in the house today. And I first met JJ uh, like four years ago. We were trying to remember when it was, but he was here in Denver and he was flying out. So he stopped by to worship with us on his way to the airport. And I just got to know him a little bit and was just blown away by some of the stories he was telling. So JJ grew up as a missionary kid on the field in Togo, West Africa. And if you want, you can pull out your phone and Google where that is. I'm okay with that if you don't know where Togo is. So he grew up there and then met his wife in college and decided to go back to Togo. So for 13 years, he and his wife and family served there in Togo. And they realized there was a huge need to to bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus to people who had never heard it. So they started planting churches and they realized they needed more help. And through his leadership, an initiative was born. And now there are seven different teams in Togo that are preaching the gospel, planting churches, and it's an amazing movement. Um, well, um, they, because of some health issues in his family, they decided they needed to move back to the United States to get some health care. So on Jan- in January, he started working with an organization called the Timothy Initiative. And they too, uh, like when he was in Togo, he was a missionary through Converge, the movement we were a part of. But Timothy Initiative is part of that movement as well. And Timothy Initiative, we're going to hear more about today, but they are doing incredible work to multiply churches around the world in indigenous people groups, in villages that have never heard the name of Jesus. And they're doing some incredible work there. And we are going to take on a new partnership with the Timothy Initiative so we can multiply the gospel around the world. They've already planted some hundreds plus thousand churches. And he'll tell you more about that today. Um, but, but I'm just excited about being a part of it because not only was he in Togo, but now we're a partner church. And um, what what we've worked out is like basically 50 to 60 churches across the U.S. are gonna be a part of this one initiative to plant a church in every village in the nation of Togo, okay? And he'll share some of the numbers about that, but we as a church over the next five to six years will be a part of planting a church in every single village in this nation. Every single village, okay? We're gonna reach an entire nation because we believe as an every nation congregation, yes, we want people here from the nations to come and worship with us, But we also need to go where those nations have not heard the name of Jesus. And Timothy Initiative is going to be a great partnership to make that happen. So if I could, let's all give a warm welcome to to J.J. Alderman as he comes up to preach. Well, it is great to be here. I think you heard most of my life story, so no reason to go back on that. I think you are are up to speed on all this. Uh, Here's the thing I would say. I've seen God at work. I've seen lives changed. I've seen people that you would say, anybody but that person could trust Jesus. And I've seen that person. I've seen their life just radically changed, their families' lives, their communities. I've seen generations changed. I've seen places where people say, what just happened in that village up the road? And they say, oh, it was a church. And everybody says, oh, okay. Well, whatever just happened there needs to happen here because there's peace now, the community's changed. It's changed the very composition of who we are as people. And that's what the gospel does. The gospel is that hope and that peace that we only find in Jesus. There's no one else that can do what Jesus does in our lives. And that's just as true in Denver today as it is on the other side of the world, wherever that is. It was a few years ago that I was sitting talking with David, the gentleman that God's used to be able to start the Timothy Initiative. We were actually sitting in West Africa, and I said, so, so what does this look like? What's the Timothy Initiative? He knew that I was living on the ground with my family in Togo at that point, and he says, here's what we do. 
we start, and we start with partnership. We start with partnering with local churches and local ministries. And from the very beginning, we look at people and churches and say, how can we help a leader in a church, who we would call a Paul, to be able to gather together their own disciples within their church and start raising them up to be able to go out? By raising them up, we want to help them to be able to know how to do this, how to follow Jesus. And this is, this is normally about a two-year process from start to finish. And so the average disciple who is sitting there with someone like Pastor Matt would commit to be able to say, we'll meet under a shade tree, under a mango tree, maybe in a building like this, maybe at a coffee shop, wherever it may be. And for two years to be able to sit and learn and the first lesson would start with something like, hey, let me tell the story of how God changed my life. Let me tell my story before Jesus. Let me tell his story of what he did. And let me tell you what my life looks like now because Jesus changed my life. And at the end of that week's lesson, each one of these disciples would go out to five different people that week and be able to share that story with someone else. And then come back together and sit in a group with about 19 other people and say, this is what's happened. These are the people that have listened. These are the people that weren't ready to listen. They didn't want to. These are the places where I didn't understand what it means to be able to share what Jesus did in my life. It's real. I just don't know how to talk about it yet. And as these, these young disciples continue to grow and to develop, they start looking at other places around their community, maybe villages up the road, maybe people that they've heard of, that village because of a common market day, but they've also heard something like that village doesn't have the gospel. They don't have a church. And so these young disciples in this two-year process would go into that community, be able to find permission to be able to speak with people in the community, and start sharing the gospel with people throughout. This could be 100 people in the village. It could be 500 people in the village. But it's probably not a massive city. It's probably a community. And one by one, people start meeting Jesus. And as they start meeting Jesus, they ask the question, so now that I've followed Jesus, now that, now that I've said yes to him, what does it mean for me to live like a Christian? I don't know what that even looks like. I don't know any other Christians. I've never met another Christian, and I've never seen another church that's gathered together like we are today. So what does it mean to be able to do this? And so this disciple is continually going into this community to be able to help teach and raise up so that a group of believers start to open up the word together and to be able to study. They sing, and many times it's a new song. It's an original song because they've never heard another song to Jesus before, and so they start just writing their own worship songs. They start giving something sacrificially. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's eggs. Maybe it's corn or rice, but they're giving something every single week. And they're learning in their own community what it means to be this body of Christ in their own place around the world. And so as this continues to happen after, at the end of a two-year process, it's, it's one of those times where at the end of the two years, you say, the only way to finish is to see the church that's been planted. Here's what blows me away the obedience of these disciples who share their faith. Most of them share their faith about 450 to 500 times in a single two-year period. You say, I wonder how in the world a church got planted somewhere. Well, it's because someone was faithful and sharing every single week. And I know if I share Jesus 500 times in the next two years, there'll be fruit out there. 
There'll be fruit because God will continue to work and to do something in people's lives. Well, fast forward about 14 years from when the Timothy Initiative first started. This year, TTI will see 40,000 churches planted around the world this year. Isn't that awesome? Here's what this means. This means 40,000 churches that are comprised of hundreds of thousands of families who are connected to hundreds of thousands of communities because they're all interlocked somewhere out there who are hearing the message of Jesus. And so just like you heard a couple of minutes ago, today we're talking about an opportunity to be able to reach a country, reach a country where I had the privilege of growing up. It was a country that way back when, the gospel was just going into cities for the very, very first time, and now it's starting to spread. And now you're starting to see where it's continued to move forward. Churches are planting churches are planting churches because this multiplication is happening. And so what we have is an opportunity to look at a place like Togo and to say, where is the church and where is it not? So the church has come together with multiple organizations. Most of them you probably know very well, but two that would be very close to home would be Converge and and TTI, or the Timothy Initiative, partnering together to be able to survey the 15,000 places in Togo where people live. And at the end, and by middle of next year, we should be able to see where those locations actually are. And so that we can start going and sending and reaching out to those communities to plant a church in every single village. And so what I saw years ago as a little guy when I first moved to Togo was the gospel just going into places for the first time. My dream is that in the next decade, we'll see a church in every single village in that country. And together we have an opportunity to do that. Together we have an opportunity to partner with those, those disciples who are being raised up, trained up, sent out to be able to plant a church in every single village in that country. And Togo's not the only one. In fact, right now, TTI is working in 40 countries and we're saying, God, where can we go next? Those least reached places where we can partner with the existing church to multiply, to be able to reach entire nations. Well, this morning, I would like for us to look in Romans chapter 15. In Romans chapter 15, we see Paul's writing here. We're going to pick up in verse 17. And I would say this is a time, this is a letter where Paul is starting to evaluate. He's coming towards a transition. He's coming towards a time where his ministry is changing a little bit. And so he's looking back in order to be able to look forward. He's looking forward to this culture that's changing in the kingdom of God and the family of God. So we're going to pick up in reading in verse 17 here of Romans chapter 15. It says, Therefore, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God. And for what not, or, for I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles, by the power of the miraculous signs and the wonders, and by the power of God's Spirit. As a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named, so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. He's quoting Isaiah. That is why I've been prevented many times from coming to you, but now I no longer have any work to do in these regions. I have strongly desired for many years to come to you.
Let's pray. God, as we read this passage and we think about Paul's writing here to the church, I pray that you'll help us. Arise Church is focusing on being a church that's for every nation, not just here in Denver, but around the world. It's an opportunity to be able to focus, to expand, to be able to say things like, your kingdom, your will be done. So that's our prayer today for each one of us here in this place or watching online. To be able to say, Lord, do something in our hearts and do something in the life of this church. And God will give you all the praise and the glory in Christ's name. Amen. Paul starts off by saying very clearly when he wants to boast, he wants to make sure that he's only boasting in Christ. I have a missionary friend there in Togo who says, we don't just make God the hero of the story, we keep him as the hero of the story. He already is the hero of the story. So any story we tell should be a story that talks about who God is. If it's something meaningful, something that has life-altering or eternal significance when it comes to our lives. And so what Paul is talking about when he starts in verse 17 is he talks about saying, I'm going to boast about everything that he's done and only what he's done. He's kind of qualifying the next few sentences because he's going to make some pretty big claims here. He's going to say something and we have no reason to believe anything but that Paul was 100% accurate and we see it recorded right here in Scripture. He's going to continue on by talking about the way that the gospel has been working and how he's been working in the lives of individuals and in large areas or large communities. He moves on to say, in verse 18, it says, For I wouldn't dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles. When I, when I look at Paul talking about what he has been able to accomplish here, I would look at it in the same way that for, for many of us in the room, we have the opportunity of understanding more about ourselves because we're parents. I don't know about you, but you've, it, I, for me, I'm, I'm sitting here, my youngest is in the room with me today. My wife and I, we've been married for almost 20 years and we have three little girls. And when I look at my daughters, I see more and more of myself, sometimes good, and sometimes I'm looking in the mirror and saying, all right, this is where we are. When we look at our children together, it's that weight or that balance of talking about our kids with great pride and at the same time understanding the great responsibility. That place of saying, I understand that my children, I'm responsible for them to get from here to there, to be able to raise up, to develop, so that one day they can also live their lives in whatever season, stage, and place that God takes them to. While it's with great pride that I'm able to talk about my children, I also have great responsibility. Paul continues on in talking about, in verse 18 here, he says, I don't want to talk about anything except for what was accomplished through me by word and by deed. He talks about obedience here. One of the most common threads that I've continued to observe and others in the international space have observed is that disciples are obedient. Disciples are obedient. It's one of those things where oftentimes we can be caught where we understand more or we know more than what we're able to live out. 
How many of you in the room would say, I know a little bit more about what I should do to be healthy than what I do to be healthy? I don't know about you, but I can sit there and I can sit there and say, I shouldn't be eating this butt, right? And I'm sitting there, I know good and well what I should do. So my knowledge is quite high. My obedience is much lower than what I actually know. You know, there's that place for us, I would say, I don't think the church in America is any different than the church in the rest of the world because at the end of the day, we're all humans, We all sit there with hopes and dreams and desires and hurts and hang-ups and joy and peace that comes throughout our life in different seasons. For us as believers, to be able to know something and to be able to do something should go hand-in-hand in the life of a disciple. It's one of those things where Paul is sitting here and saying, I can talk about word and I can talk about deed. He can talk about what he knows. He's studied the scriptures deeply. He knows what he should be doing as a Christ follower, but he's also lived it out. That's why he continues on to to talk about the way that he's able to see the obedience in the Gentiles. I think of a lady that I grew up in church and she was an elderly lady who didn't have the scripture in her own language. And she would come to church and we'd have this time where we would take a couple of minutes and say, hey, how can you praise God for what he's done this week? It was basically an opportunity to be able to share publicly how God was working in individual people's lives. And this lady who didn't speak French but spoke Kabye would stand up and she'd say, I just want to praise God with this. And she'd stand up and she'd start quoting an entire chapter of scripture out of the New Testament. But since she didn't have, she didn't speak French and there wasn't a Bible in her language, it was actually her children who would sit in the evening time by the fire as they were cooking dinner and translate scripture from one language to another so she could memorize scripture in her own language. And then she would stand there in church and she'd just say, I just want to praise God with this. And then she'd sit down and she was probably the most humble lady you'd ever see in your entire life. Two weeks later, she'd come back, she'd have another passage. But it's not just a lady who was internalizing and learning and growing in the scripture, and she was. But it was also a lady who lived out her faith. You could see it in the way she lived her life. It wasn't just in word, but it was also in deed. It was that compliment. It was the part of our faith that comes together to where we should be obedient disciples. There is no such thing as saying a disobedient disciple. A disciple is someone, and it should be all of us who are following what God has for us. Next thing we see from Paul as he's evaluating this gospel impact is we can see how the gospel has been fully proclaimed. He's looking at this area where he's talking about about a thousand miles from one city to another to say the gospel has gone from here to there. And he's not saying I've heard, he's saying I've seen, I've been a part of, I've shared the gospel in this entire line from one city to another. Think think of Denver to Houston. Think of Denver to LA, and that's not quite even a thousand miles. But that's the distance. If it was up to us, let's even say for a church, what if together it was our responsibility to take the gospel from here to Houston? How long would it take? How would we do it? What would that look like? Paul's coming back with great confidence and talking about it, saying that the gospel has gone to all these places. In fact, in verse 22, we can see how he's finished that up where he says, I know that my work here has been done because he knows where it has gone. He knows how it has progressed. He was very methodical about it. He was methodical in the way where he's saying the gospel is here, but the gospel is not yet there. One of the first things for us is when we become aware of a person like our one, 
or a place and those, the people that live there, the everyone's from right there. Once we become aware that they don't have the gospel, then it should compel us. Then it should help us focus. Then it should help us see and do something about it. I talked to you about Togo, and we're in the process of doing survey work right now to know where every church is and where the church is not. It's been represented for us in really simple things that even look like coloring sheets. So a a village that could be red is a village that doesn't yet have a gospel expression or a church. A yellow, their believers are there, and a green is there are both, both believers and a church. There's actually one nation in the world that's already finished their survey work. It's a nation in Asia, and here's what they found. They found churches, different stripes, different kinds, different languages spoken, different tribes represented. But when it comes down to what they didn't find was they found 70,000 villages, 70,000 villages with no church whatsoever. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you heard of 70,000 communities in the state of Colorado that don't have a church? How do we start? We have to start with one. We have to start with our one. We go there and we build from there and go farther and farther and farther and multiplying. Well, there's a young gal who was becoming quite aware of the need. And so she looked at a community up the road from her that didn't have the gospel. And in fact, she took the gospel there and we have a video to show you. I want you to enjoy seeing what God's doing in this Asian nation right now. Titi ay talimbata hamili na kunda gaw palika ko naksapayum. Hamro chimi kising mindi gaw ma rato orang boy ka hamili dekhiu. Tis pachi hamili tising mindi gaw ma salvation galiu. Tis gaw ma sae vanda body gharado rachar se pachas vanda body janasankhya thi. Tis gaw ka mani sarubuta dharma mani ra antakarli bhori ko tunamuna garni nimna borgiye thi. त्यो गाउँमा कुनै विश्वासी र मण्डली थिएन अन्धकारको शक्ति हटाउनको लागि र मण्डली स्थापना गर्नका लागि प्रार्थना सहित पावल विनोद र म दुई घण्टा हिँडेर हरेक हप्ता एक पटक सुसमाचार सुनाउन जान्थ्यौं हामीले हाम्रो मण्डलीबाट त्यस गाउँका विद्यार्थीहरूलाई कापी कलम वितरण गर्यौं र सुसमाचार सुनायौं एक महिना भित्र सात जनाले विश्वास गर्नुभयो हामीले तुरुन्तै घरेलु संगति 5 अक्टोबर 2022 मा सुरु गर्यो नयाँ विश्वासीहरुको आफन्त र छोराछोरीहरुले गाउँबाट निकाल्ने योजना बनाएका थिए तर प्रार्थनाद्वारा त्यो योजना विफल भयो अहिले त्यो सिन्मिन्दी गाउँमा निरन्तर रूपमा संगति भइरहेको छ पहिले सिमिन्दी गाउँको नक्सामा रातो रङ थियो तर अहिले हरियो भएको छ परमेश्वरले धन्यवाद भएको होस् you guys happen to notice that that church turns one year old this week? Did you happen to notice that? Isn't that incredible? People going from death to life. That's what the gospel does. It's the hope that changes everything for us. Paul continues to talk, talk in verse 19. He's talking about the Holy Spirit is the only one that can do the work and that does the work. We're asking him to do what only he can do. 
from convicting someone and helping them understand they need a savior to their present realities. It's only the Holy Spirit that could do it. In West Africa, I remember the time that someone said to me, oh, JJ, we're not, we're not worried about eternity. Our question is, is God big enough for this life? If he's big enough, he might be big enough for eternity, but if he's not big enough for my life today, then that's not the God that I'm going to worship. And that's the message that we're sharing with everyone. The message that Jesus is big enough for their reality today, for my reality today, no matter what I have, no matter what I, no matter what I face, no matter what I carry. And he's also big enough for my eternity. Just a few months ago, a gal named Christine started praying and saying, as she was a Timothy, studying and saying, I need to take the gospel somewhere. I need to go somewhere and take it. And as she was studying through this, she said one day, she, she went to sleep that night, woke up the next morning and said, I, I think I had a dream that God told me to go to this village. She said, I'm not sure. I've never even heard of the name before. Didn't know where the village was. Started asking people like, have you ever heard of this place? Is this actually even a real place or am I just making something up? So she started talking to somebody and somebody says, yeah, there's the name of this village. She goes, all right. Well, I need to go there. So she goes and finds her disciple. And together with her disciple, goes to this village and goes on a journey to be able to get there. And when she gets to this village, the first thing she sees as she's entering, to, entering this space is this massive tree. A tree that's covered with all kinds of cloth and flags around it. A tree that is the place where the community has sacrificed for decades and generations. A community where she later would find out that everyone felt as though they were cursed. Everything was wrong. No one found success. No matter where you traveled in the world, you always came back and found this place of doom and destruction because of the gods and the idols that were being worshipped in this community. Flags everywhere, live sacrifices. She walked a couple more steps and gets to a house where people are sobbing. They're sobbing because the community just buried the 11th child that year whether it's bad water or something else, they were pointing back to the destruction and the request of their gods. And there's this kid who's laying there on the ground who looks more like he's closer to death than life. Christine goes, can I pray for him? Like, what else are you gonna do? They buried 11 kids. There is no other answer. You're not gonna call a doctor and could the doctor fix it anyway? I don't know. Christine sits there and says, can I pray for him? And by the end of the day, this little guy is walking around. The father sits there and says, I think that's his God. And so the father looks at Christine and says, you can stand in front of our house. You can tell anybody anything. We would call this a person of peace. You can tell anybody anything. And so because of that, Christine started sharing the gospel with each person in the entire community. We actually can see this is Christine up here who's standing. I got to meet her a couple of weeks ago. And then there's the picture of this new church. This church is seven months old. There are about 70 people that meet there every single week. But if you go back to the tree, the sacrifices aren't there anymore. The flags aren't there anymore. Because the people that used to bow at the tree are now in church on Sunday. They're together worshiping Jesus. Isn't that awesome? It's a community who didn't have the gospel, and now they do. But here's what they've understood. 
now that they've received the gospel, it's their responsibility to send it to the next village. It can't stop there. It's almost as if there's this game of hot potato that's being passed around. And as soon as you receive it, you have to pass it on just as as fast as you possibly can. And that's our responsibility with the gospel is to take it and send it to places that haven't yet heard. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 20, he says, my aim, my aim, it's personal to him, is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not yet been named. There are three billion people around the world that haven't heard about Jesus or a clear presentation of the gospel. There are 9,000 villages in Togo that need a church. There are 70,000 in just one other nation, and we could continue on and on and on. And I'm pretty sure that there are communities in the state of Colorado that don't have a church. I'm pretty convinced of that. And so it's our opportunity It's our responsibility to be able to pray that prayer and say, I want to preach the gospel where Christ has not yet been named. You see, Jesus changes everything for us. We can be in this place where we're fearful, but because of the hope of the gospel, he has power over fear. He has power over all of that. We can live our life in this place of carrying such shame from the choices that we've made and the decisions that, we've got, that, we've, that have led us down the road. And yet that shame, we can take his honor because of what he did in our place. And you know, we're actually guilty because of the sin and the choices we've made. And because of Jesus' work on the cross, he can also render us innocent. In fact, if you're in that place where you'd say, JJ, you've talked a lot about the gospel, I would say the gospel is the opportunity to be able to say, Jesus, I want what you did for me. You, you, you came to this earth as the son of God. You lived a perfect life for 33 years. At the end of 33 years, they crucified you and they really should have been crucifying me. And after three days, you rose from the grave, not just showing that you had power over life and death, but also that you had power over sin. None of us have power over life and death and none of us have our own power over sin. He overcame both of those. And then he gave us the opportunity for the greatest exchange or the worst exchange. It depends on how you want to look at it. The greatest exchange because we're the beneficiaries. Where he said, I will take all of your guilt and your shame and your fear and I'll exchange it for you. And you can take my righteousness and you can have power because I have the power over all of these And you can have my honor and be robed like I am. And you can be rendered innocent because of what I've done. That's the opportunity that we have. And that's the opportunity that we have to send to people. To be able to share with other people that have never yet heard for the very, very first time. In fact, in a room like this, I would say that many of us could look back to that moment, that time where we, had, we made that deal. We received, we were on the receiving end of that deal. And you could say, I've made that deal before. And maybe you're sitting here in the room or online and you say, JJ, I've never done this before. This is an, actually an opportunity. I'm going to ask you to speak this prayer with me. People oftentimes, when they're in a different language in another place in the world, they look at me and they say, but what if I don't get the words right? 
I say, oh, it doesn't matter about the words. But, but, but what if I can't say it in this language? What if I can only say it in my heart language? Oh, that's okay. He understands. He's your God too. He can understand your heart's cry. And for some of you, maybe you're sitting here and saying, yes, this takes me back to a place where I've already done this. But what matters is the sincerity of heart. It's repentance and faith. So in a room this size, I'm going to ask you just to pray it out loud with me. Maybe this is just a reminder of what you've already done. Maybe this is the first time you're praying it. But it can go something like this. Jesus, you lived a perfect life. You died in my place. And three days later, you rose from the grave. You showed you had power over death and sin. I want you to forgive me of my sins. Thank you for the free gift of salvation. I receive it. I want to be adopted as your child. Take all of my bad and give me all your good. And I want to live like your child. In Jesus' name. Amen. If this is the first time that you've said that prayer and talked to God and meant it, would you just slip up your hand for just a second? Just up fast and back down. Is there anybody like that today? And if this is a room where you've said, I've said that before, I've believed that, then who's that person? Who's that one person out there that you need to be able to go chair and talk to? I have my one individually, and yet there's still one more village out there that hasn't yet heard, which is why our prayers for a church in every village, everywhere. And so it's our, it's our opportunity. It's a, it's a time where we get to have an impact on the world. I can remember a time when I was riding in the car with my dad in a dusty path in West Africa, and he points out, a church in a village called Pindi. And he goes, JJ, that's our church. I said, yeah. He goes, no, our family built that church. And I said, dad, I know you built the church. Like he'd physically built the building. He goes, no, no, no. Like our family bought and built that church. I said, dad, did we do the land too? He goes, yeah, we did the land too. I can go back to a place where there's a church out there because of something that a generation up my family has done. Paul talks about living in word and deed. Paul talks about living in obedience. And if I can just be transparent, yes, I'm giving my life to be able to see a church in every village everywhere, but my family has our part in that too. They have to see the legacy. We have to invest in his kingdom so that people close to us and on the other side of the world can have a place where they can worship Jesus just like we are right now. And that's our opportunity. Our opportunity is in the next 10 years to see a country of 8 million people have a church in every single village. Paul said, my aim is to preach Christ where he hasn't yet been named. We still have the same opportunity. We still have the same opportunity today. I'm going to ask Pastor Matt to come over here and close us out in prayer. Can we thank JJ? Um, 
It's, it's amazing to hear about what he has done and the Timothy Initiative is, is doing, but we get to be a part of that, okay, guys? Some of you might wanna go to Togo or around the world, but every single one of us can preach the gospel word is not by named through our giving, through our prayers. And we're gonna have the opportunity, as a Rice Church in Denver, we're taking on a new partnership with the Timothy Initiative. And we have a QR code up here. Josh, if we can sneak you over a little bit, um, if we get this next slide up. Um, we want to be a part of it. As a church, we're donating a portion of our budget to the Tip Timothy Initiative, but we're also asking individuals and families to go above and beyond their normal giving to partner with the Timothy Initiative. We're doing this as a family because guess what? It is really expensive to plant one church. Do you know how much it costs to plant one church? $400. I did not stutter. Through the Timothy Initiative, it is $400 to plant a church. That's about $34 a month. And your giving can plant a church. So in one year, $400 could plant a church because there are people ready and going and that much resources is it all that they need to go to the next village. Uh, and that's amazing. Melissa and I have partnered with an organization for a while to, to sponsor an orphan in, in a, a foreign country and it costs $400 a year to sponsor that one orphan, okay? Here's the cool thing about planting a church. In order to be considered an actual church with the Timothy Initiative, they have to sponsor an orphan or widow within that community. So not only do you get to plant a church, but you also get to take care of those in need by giving. So I'm serious, get your phones out right now. Use this QR code because we have a goal as a church that I think we could do. I think we could do because we're, we're, we're talking about six years, we're talking about a decade that we're partnering together, that we want to every single year plant 52 churches as a church, okay? That means one a week. That means we need about 50 people who can step up and say, hey, I could give $400 a year. And maybe you don't wanna give that much, maybe you can't give that much, but maybe you can give a portion of that. You could be part of planting a church this year and helping people who have never heard about Jesus have their lives and their communities transformed. So I'm gonna give you just a couple minutes right now. Fill out this form. If you're online, do it as well. Let's be a part of something amazing and we'll see a church in every village everywhere. And we get to be a part of changing one nation. Isn't that cool?